0: Good to see you all. Have a good Christmas. Boys and girls, what did you get for Christmas? Did you get some good stuff? Pooh bears? Oom-bands? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) My grandkids have got the same stuff, I know. Well, I hope you had a good Christmas. We're headed to a new year that uh, is full of excitement for us. Um... I'm gonna be speaking a little series over this month of January which have to do with standing on the standing on the edge of uh, on, the, on the on the moving on the edge of destiny. And and looking at one or two things that we need to be aware about as a church that, that will help us as we work through the notion of moving on the edge on the on the, the limp. You know, with, with Nick coming in, in February, with the things that happened in January. We've got to think through the notion of living on the edge of destiny and and knowing that God has something new for us, something different for us in the future. So one of those things on the 14th, before I get started, um, let me say this. I went to a pastor's breakfast uh, a few weeks ago at MST, and uh, we had breakfast and all that sort of stuff and lots of conversations, but the speaker for 15 minutes was Dr. Bernie Power, Bernie runs the Muslim program at MST, and he was beyond excellent. He was just superb. So I rang him up and said, has what you just said been photographed? And he said, yeah, I delivered that at a, at a high school recently, and it, they, they taped it all. It goes for about a quarter of an hour. I said, would you give me permission to play that as the sermon slot uh, on, on a Sunday in January? He said, absolutely. Here, I'll send it to you. So I've got it. And on the 14th, we're going to hear Bernie Power talking about what's happening in Israel. Now, that has to be one of the best shots that we can do. So I would invite you, please, to talk to your friends about it, to talk to your family about it. And if they want to get an insight into that, uh, please invite them to come along to be a part of, a part of that. Bernie is just superb. You'll see when, when you, you see the presentation that it's de- dead worthwhile having a look at. The rest will, will flow, as you'll see. So I want to talk today about moving on the edge of destiny and and think for just a little bit what that means, moving on the edge of destiny. The history of the church is a a record of a relay race. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 12 starts off that chapter by talking about the relay race that human human beings are involved in. Let me just read it to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The picture here is of a relay race um, and the baton is passed from one runner to the next. And we clearly get the picture from this reading that each of us have a period, each of us have a time which is our time, and when that time is finished, we hand the baton on to somebody else who's going to be able to take the race on to the next. Now the truth is that in relay races, the the racer who's just stopped doesn't go and sit down. Have you ever watched them? Do what do they do? They watch the next runner, because their finish, their completion has to do with what the next runner does. They've got to know when to hand the baton at exactly the right time. They've got to make sure that the one they hand it to has been trained for the position, and then they hand it on and watch as the baton goes forward. We're moving on the edge of destiny. In 2024, new pastor, new whole sense of direction, new sense of God's present with us. This is exciting. This is really exciting and needs to be done well. So let me have a comment comment today, we're all shoulder standers, every one of us, on our parents, on our grandparents, on those around us, we're all shoulder standers, we all have our day in the sun. There comes a time when we need to say, I need to pass the baton to somebody else who now takes over from me, but I don't stop doing what I turn into as a mentor. What I turn into at that point is to, is to barrack for and encourage. Remember I, a while ago, um, I was talking about the girls' brigade and having one of the ladies here praying. Now, uh, that's what I meant by having a mentor. The mentor prays. There's nothing wrong with girls' brigade. It's, it's the fact that the church provides somebody... To support, encourage and build up, bring up the World's Brigade, how's it going? What can I pray for this week? You can do that mentoring process which, which finds a foundation for each one of us. There comes a time when we pass the baton and there's also advice for new runners about how we go about the process. All of the Bible characters are shoulders to stand on, but let's think about this very, very carefully. There's a the suggestion that each of us can choose a Bible, study ca- a Bible candidate and, and simply realise that as the, a as the shoulder. We need to notice whose shoulders we should st- choose to stand on because some of the people in the Old Testament and the New Testament are not relevant to who we are because their giftedness is not the same as our giftedness. How do we go about the process of choosing the shoulders to stand on? What makes a good set of Bible characters? Whose shoulders should we stand on? Well, uh, Moses, David, Peter, Solomon, Elijah. This is a bit of a worry, isn't it? What was Moses? Moses was a murderer. Uh, Who we got next? David. What was David? He was an adulterer and a murderer. Uh, There was Peter. Uh, he had a few years in the sun, more than just a few years in the sun, but he was a betrayer. Not a great lot, are they? It's not a great lot to choose from. How about Solomon? Well, his hands were so covered with blood that God said he wasn't allowed to build the temple. Uh, what about Elijah? No, Elijah was a massive failure at the end of his 3 years stint. He ran off into the desert and, and and maybe we're looking for the wrong thing You're looking for somebody who we can put our our strength into Well, let me just talk about Moses were all these men perfect no uh, did you know that there's a prostitute in Jesus family line So it's not just all about men it's about women as well though in those days of course women were less consequential and so they weren't listed all over the place. There were still women who did their thing. What are we going to say? A study from the past. Let's just look at this very, very carefully. We're going to talk about Moses for a minute. Moses is the chosen one, as you know. He's, he's retrieved from the bulrushes by Pharaoh's daughter and looked after her. for her. He's, he's a baby in the, ba- in, in the basket and he probably lived in the palace for about 20 years. He was Moses, the favoured one. He was favoured in learning, in food, in wealth, in clothes, in position, in influence. He was a massive possibility. Moses at the character check. He sees an Israelite being beaten and what does he do? He murders the bloke who's doing it. Moses in the desert. He's there for 40 years. There's time for character formation, character development in that time. God calls Moses after 40 years. And there's another character check. Moses says, no, don't, 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 don't choose me. He fails in part, and let's look, watch that next part. When we fail to fully respond to God's call, we limp. We always struggle around that weakness which is ours unless we hand it over to the Lord and let him use it. Moses commences God's purpose for his life after 60 years. The release of the Israelites from Egypt, political intrigue, pressure, obedience, uh, and Moses spends 40 years out in the desert. So by now, he has spent 20 years in the palace, 40 years uh, up on the farm, 40 years out on the desert. And by the time we get to see him in action again, he's 100 years old traversing the desert for 40 years. What does he do? You read these. He's the most powerful leader this world has ever seen. Who could traverse the desert with millions of people and keep for 40 years the whole tribe together? Inside of the Promised Land? Numbers 20, 1 to 13... I'm not going to read it to you. After 38 years of faithfulness, the same character flaw appear is apparent in his life as when he killed the Egyptian. I can usurp God's authority by my own action. <clears throat> when we're looking for somebody whose shoulders we can stand on, this little idea is very important. I can bring God's purposes into reality by taking control myself. I can stop what that bloke's doing. I can kill him. I can take the people into the the promised land. Two pieces of evidence. Verse 10, listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of the rock? Who's standing next to him? Aaron. He's not talking about him and God, he's talking about he and Aaron. Who's rescued Israel? As far as Moses is concerned, it's him and Aaron. What presumption? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice. This is the second bit. Make those comparisons if you want to. The consequence. Now remember who Moses is. Remember the things he's done. Remember the relationship with God. Remember the depth of character, the greatness of wisdom, the great power of a leader. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honour me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. Moses must have felt that his whole purpose in life, his whole life's destiny, had failed. These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarrelled with the Lord and where he showed himself as holy among them. The Fatal character flaw? Because you did not trust in me enough to honour me as holy. Both of you disobeyed my command to honour me as holy before their eyes. Now, I want to say that fatal flaw is rampant in our society. And one of the things that our churches need to look, at, have to look at very, very carefully is this notion of who's the boss. Who's the boss? And the corollary to that is what are we actually looking for when we're looking for somebody whose shoulders to stand upon? We looked at five or six, and we noticed that they're all pretty nasty people in some respect. They have character flaws. We want to look for somebody, and this is a key idea. We want to look for somebody whom God has been able to use, not who is characterfully perfect. We're looking to see what God has done through that person. We're looking to see how transparent that person is in terms of God's behaviour. Sure, we all trip up. Sure, we all bust our nose on the ground. We bust our knees on the ground and we stand up again and he says, I forgive you, I heal you, now get on with the business. Do we follow Moses? Yes, we do. But we learn from Moses about the mistakes not to make. And the same applies to other people. As we are standing on the edge of destiny, we've got to say to ourselves, whose shoulders will I stand on and what can I learn from this person about my own behaviour and how can I find in that person the transparency to let God do what he wants to do? Now, this is the foundation for 2024. This is where it all starts. Whose shoulders are we actually choosing to stand on? when we are the shoulder standers, we need to draw two observations from Moses apart from the obvious self-analysis in relation to Moses' experience God says I am the Holy One I always was I always have I always will be if you as a church choose to head off into theology that is a uh, disdainful of me, I will leave. And slowly your church will fade into non-existence. Right through Israel's 40 years, God the Holy One, doing things through Moses. Moses sitting on God's tails, uh, coattails and watching as he does it. Can you see what God is doing all the way through? The God they were dealing with created the world. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Yahweh, they dare not pronounce his name Jehovah, calling out for himself a holy people. He abhors evil, will will not be prepared to cope with evil, destroys it wrestled with the cleansed the people, was jealous for his people. This God is our God. And if we're going to learn about standing on the shoulder standers and discovering that we've got to stand on God's shoulders and not the shoulders of the name, not in an ownership sense, but in a belonging sense. I am today who I was then. Now, I want to ask a question. I think in our society we have lost a sense of, of the holiness of God. I watched a video the other day by Louis Giglio about the the, the breadth of the world, the size of the world, and uh, it was mind blowing. You get a chance to see it, then you look at it. What I say, I mean. He says. What I say, I mean. This is not open for negotiation. As we plan 2024, as we go about the things, the issue is not what the, the elders say. The issue is not what the leadership says. The issue is not what Nick says. The issue is what is God saying. What I say, I mean. Moses was told to do something and how to do it. God cannot have Moses' sin in the new homeland. And so he can't go home. You want to choose to do things your way because you've done it before? Not a part of the deal. Moses is excluded from the goal of his whole life commitment. Bible characters and our fellow human beings are not a loss. They reveal to us how God can use us in our frailty. Because we are as broke as Moses is. We are as rough as Elijah was. Even worse. But God can use us. This church can come alive in Jesus Christ despite the fact that we are not perfect. That's what this shoulder standard stuff tells us. Just let him through you into the church. Leave behind My family's been here for 35 years. We're the pillars of this church. We're going to keep... Leave it behind. I'm not having a go at anybody. I hope nobody had a (laughs) shot. I'm being rude there. I'm not. It's now that's important. The shoulders from the past are there to stand on, to watch what God has done. But now is now. I was told the other day there's no point in training up my children for the kind of job that I had because by the time they get to employment it won't be there things change in our society things are so changing what does the church look like well you've got to consult the boss we cannot afford to say to ourselves I'm trained in this I know what should be done the important thing is for me to make the best decisions and then honor God by making sure they get implemented Our situation, in our situation, God is doing a new thing. It may seem the same, but it must be done God's way. Servants of God are just that. Nothing more, nothing less. And the reason? Because God searches for God things, we can only bring a human perspective. Do you know what's going to happen in this church next year? Do you know whether these buildings are going to be standing next year? Do you know what your destiny is next year? Sorry. Does he know what the future of this church is next year? Of course he does. Does he know whether these buildings are going to Of course he does. There is only one place to go. He is the shoulder stander upon whose shoulders we must stand permanently. Now let me say I've got three points to make in terms of God's provision for the future. First of all, he remains direct causal control. He maintains direct causal control. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. I want to talk about this on my last sermon here on the 28th of January. He maintains direct causal control. You might not think that God is in charge of this church. He is. You can flounder around the place and do all sorts of funny things and he'll put up with it and put up with it and put up with it and put up with it. In the end, you thumb your nose at him too much and he'll quietly depart. That's not going to happen here, I know, from my experience of everybody. This is brilliant. This church is going to be in the hands of the living God. It excites me. Number two, he provides the context. Not only is he... He provides us the power. He provides us the context. In him we live and move and have our being. I preached on that a few weeks ago, didn't I? In him we live and move and have our being. He's in charge of everything. He walks with you day by day, moment by moment. When the, deacons, when the, when the council have their meeting, guess who's there? And, the, and when the elders meet regularly, guess who's there? Quietly speaking into the various lives. I didn't expect that. How did that happen? Where do we get to that? Number three, oh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Kingdom of heaven, of course, is where we all live. <coughs> uh, number three, he provides the weapons. You know, I, I was careful whether I should call it weapons or something else, but you will see. Living in the power of the Spirit, that's the first weapon. Knowing the power of prayer. Love and obedience. Unity. Uh, let me talk about those a little bit. No, living in the power of the Spirit. I think I said on Christmas, or, yeah, Christmas Day, that, uh, no, that the week before Christmas Day or something, uh, that at Christmas God released the power of the Spirit of God into the lives of people in His church and changed things for eternity. Well, He's here now. He's speaking to the Lord on your behalf. He's bringing information from the Lord to you about what you should be doing now. That is our first weapon. If that is the case, then the second weapon, and probably the more important one in a sense, is the power of prayer. If this church becomes a powerhouse of prayer, it will become a powerhouse. I guarantee to you, if you become a powerhouse of prayer, you will become a powerhouse. Love and obedience are because you take on the character of God in the character of love. And finally, unity. Did you know when you signed up to the membership of this church, for those of you who are members, you signed up to maintain the unity that God had put in place by the power of the Spirit? And it is not your task, whatever is happening in the church, to move for disunity. It is your task, all of our tasks, to maintain unity so that when the world looks at us, they say, wow, how do they do that? How do they do that? Well, they're listening to the power of the Spirit. They're spending time in prayer before they make any decisions. They're moving on in love and obedience and they are determined to be unified. Moving on the edge of destiny. Do you believe that we are as a church? If you do, nod your head. That'll prove you're awake as well as agreement. I believe this is where it starts. And I'm sorry to spend so much time on poor old Moses. Some people think I'll give him a hard time. But I think this is where we stand. Now, he's saying in just four weeks' time the baton gets changed. And you are going to run the race of 2024, the new church, the new set of possibilities, the new God in action, and he challenges you and me to be about the business of servant disciples. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for what you have done in the past in this place. There's a whole history of love and laughter and freedom and joy and beauty in this place. There's a whole host of shoulders to stand on. But we recognise that when we're talking about standing on shoulders, it's not now the shoulders of those whose faces we see who have names, but it's your shoulders through their lives that we stand on. Lord, I want to ask that as the future unfolds, it might be a future embedded in the power of the living God and showing the fruit of the ministry of his presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, John.